Well, there's quite a lot of movement today, but it's hard to suggest there's a clear direction. The US dollar down yesterday, up today. US equities up yesterday, down this morning. Uh, we'll look at what's driving this indecisive mood on the markets generally. Plus, the Australia-New Zealand divide. We've seen worse job numbers than expected. They've seen much better than expected GDP numbers. What's that going to do to the Kiwi-Aussie cross rate? And will a reaction from China to a fleet of new nuclear submarines for Australia damage our trade with them. It's Friday, the 17th of September, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar and equities were down for most of the session, but, uh, well, in equities, they've bounced back, uh, leaving us with an ever-so-slight rise in the Dow, the Nasdaq, and the S&P. But to give you an idea, the S&P was down more than three-quarters of 1% earlier on. The climb back has all been in the last hour or so of trade. Much more strength in Europe, where the euro stocks 50 finished 0.6% up. Bonds are up, a four-basis-point rise in 10-year treasuries at 1.33%. But again, earlier, it was a different story. They were higher than uh, 1.35% earlier. The US dollar is back on the up, a 0.4% rise in the DXY. It's up three-quarters of 1% on the Swiss franc. The Aussie has lost more than half a percent, down below 73 US cents for the first time since late July and early August. The euro also losing half a percent earlier on. It's regained a little bit of that, and the pound down 0.4%. Oil has been relatively protected from these moves. Not much of a change in WTI after yesterday's bounce back. Uh, Brent has edged another third of a percent higher, though. And Gavin Friend is here to round off the week. Now, we said it was buying the dip that was pushing equities higher. That's been done. So prices came back down again. But now they're up again. Uh, Someone's profiting from this, obviously. But it, it shows the general direction, Gavin, is... Well, who knows? We seem to have been a lot of movement, but not much direction, I'm calling today's episode. That seems to be, we, it's an uncertain path that we're on at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, morning, Phil. As you say, the market doesn't really know uh, what to do at the moment, doesn't it? We had um, what looks on the face of it, some unexpectedly decent retail sales data out of the US, um, but markets just don't quite know, you know which way to take it. Um, the detail on the sales uh, were, you know, the headline sales were up 0.7% on the month compared to a forecast of a 07 decline. Now, we knew that falling auto sales would drag down the headline. Uh, higher prices there and a lack of inventory is seemingly turning buyers away. If you look at the vehicle numbers, that have already been released. Um, you know, August vehicle sales were down 11.5% in volume terms, the fourth straight monthly decline. So US retail sales, ex-autos, which were expected to be flat, actually rose nearly 2%. The so-called control group measure, which feeds into uh, or partly feeds into GDP calculations, um, that was expected to be flat, and that rose a very strong 2.5%. Um, listeners you know, should be aware that there were some quite sizable downward revisions to pre- the prior month's uh, numbers, so between what 0.6 and 0.9 percentage points, but that still leaves this as a very strong retail sales report at a point in time when everybody expected the fading stimulus checks and the delta impact to, uh, to, to, to to weigh on demand, especially on things like eating out. So why all this uncertainty then that we're seeing right now? Is it because people are wondering whether uh, these numbers mean that it's, it, it's going to be fuel for the Fed to act even faster next week? Well, of course, the Fed is going to be the big event for next week. And, uh, you know, it's quite possible that some people 
read through from a decent number there that maybe that will uh, line the Fed up, something on the tapering side. We know that Joe, Jerome Powell, whatever he says on tapering, um, has kind of destroyed the link between that and any rate rises. There's no d- direct impact there. Um, our own view would be that it's still too early for him to you know, uh, trigger... Uh, something on the tapering side, but we'll, we'll have to, you know, we can talk about that in more detail early next week. I think the sales numbers themselves, there's a little bit of confusion. Um, you know, we can, um, t- two points really worth reflecting. One, after the fact, as, as, as we all try and sort of work out why um, the numbers were much stronger than expected, it's emerged that there was a childcare tax credit that's been coming through US mailboxes in July and August. So that, I think a lot of people hadn't hadn't known that that was coming through and that might have boosted um, uh, appetite. So the other thing is, um, and I think this is just a, a need a bit more digging really, is retail sales in the US are reported in value terms. So that means it's very difficult to know whether it's the higher price of the goods that's driven uh, driven uh, the, the sales. What, what has actually happened to volumes? We don't know. I said earlier that the volume of car sales is down four months in the trot. So we know that prices is having an impact there. Um, we just don't so it could know. all just be inflation. Well, um, yeah. Well, except for the fact that, uh, that that people are spending. What what do they spend on? They spend money on um, online sales. I think the Amazon Prime Day may have helped uh, on furniture and other general merchandise. So obviously, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't call no. those kinds of things yeah. essentials. Um, they are. It's so, cocooning you know, stuff, isn't it? Stuff for the home uh, again. So uh, yeah, everyone wants to feel good about where they yeah, are. Yeah. So the Philly Fed Manufacturing Index that was also pretty strong, but initial jobless claims for the week of the eleventh of September. Those, those claims rose. I know it's week to week, uh, and mm. you know the general direction is down, but you know it's not staying down every week. No. So jobless claims. Remember, we hit a cycle low of three ten uh, last week's numbers. That was revised to three twelve. So it was always going to be hard to beat that three twenty three. It's likely the Hurricane Ida impact was still partly to blame. And I think, as we said last week, you know, the trend remains down. But, you know, if you're an employer and you're struggling to hire, as most are, you're less likely to want to let staff go. So that might help claims drop even further. The, the Fiddy Fed, the Fiddy Fed, you're right. I mean, remember yesterday um, we talked about um, the very strong New York Empire uh, manufacturing index. So we've got another regional PMI coming out um, with a strong, a, a well above, you know, consensus reading. If you look to some of the detail, I mean, new orders were lower, employment fell. That's not great, but there was more evidence of slightly lower prices paid, shorter delivery times, and higher inventory. I mean, that's what we all want to see, isn't it? To try and try and help the the, the supply crunch. I mean, the, the the question, the broader question about why the market is strug- struggling to sort of. Um, pro, pro, process this information. I mean, I think there's a, we know that overhanging us, there's been the stuff on the Delta affecting the US, affecting uh, China and broader Asia, the, the broader APAC region. Um, I also think it's this brewing energy uh, crunch that's affecting Europe. I mean, that's really come out of nowhere. People weren't looking for that. It's the one thing on the three legs of the global economy that's been doing well. Europe has been you know, um, because of the, the vaccination success, they've been able to keep businesses open. And suddenly we've got the spectre of, 
you know, an energy crunch. The fact that this is happening in a mild September uh, when when demand doesn't really rise doesn't bode well. No, um, well, for fi- the future at fifty percent. Looking in the UK and Europe, at fifty percent in the in the last month uh, for natural gas prices. And uh, as you say, you know, it's mild. Wait till winter hits. Everyone cranking up their central heating. Yeah, uh, we've all, you know, inflation is higher than wage growth. So high heating costs of that. Plus, in the UK, this uh, tax hike next April. None of that looks like a recipe for a strong recovery, Gavin. No. Um, you, you know, listeners should be aware that that on Thursday, actually Norway, that, that provides Europe with quite a lot of its um, gas and energy, um, did manage to increase supplies. And that's helped pull down prices for, for, ga- for that gas and electricity quite sharply, actually, on the day. Um, but that's because they'd skyrocketed over the previous few weeks. Um you know, uh, th- of course, the wind. Th- th- we've talked about the fact that there's been it's been a fairly low wind season. The wind will blow again. Um, <laughs> that, of that, we can be sure of. But I think there's there's a broader question here about um, flexibility of energy supply, the lack of battery storage. I think the UK's got something like one gigawatt of battery storage. It's going to need something like ten gigawatts by 2030. And more immediately, I think for markets. It's what does all this mean? It means likely lower growth to add to the already crunch on growth from from the supply constraints. And you're starting to see already there's a large fertilizer manufacturer in the UK that has shut its doors in two plants uh, this week because of the high level of gas prices. So you're starting to see evidence of demand destruction. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. To add to all the woes. This is is something to watch, I think, over the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, adding to that's why that that, I was going to say, that's why I think, (laughs) you know, partly why the dollar was up and the euro was down early on the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, adding to all the woes that have gone in that part of the world. Now, let's look at what's happening in our part of the world, Australia and New Zealand, because, hey, talk about a tale of two cities or two countries. Uh, So the... uh, We've, we've got the, the Aussie job numbers, uh, which were a lot worse than expected yesterday, 146,000 jobs lost in August, but the employment rate, unemployment rate fell because the participation rate fell so much. And then in uh, New Zealand, uh, GDP, I mean, you could say knocking the lights out. So, uh, and we can see that in currencies, can't we? It seems like the, uh, the Aussie-New Zealand cross is, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks seems to be careering towards parity, isn't it? It is. It's, it's moving that way. I mean, a lot of this is about timing. And of course, you know, the Aussie jobs number for August reflects what's going on with the Greater Sydney lockdown. Um, you know, 146,000 jobs lost, as you say. Um, the, the, the figure to look at, I think, is the hours worked down 3.7%. Yes, the unemployment rate actually fell uh, to 4.5%, but that really just reflects the, cl- the, the, the crunch in participation. I mean, workers, um, you know, either, you know, haven't got jobs or they've got jobs, but they just can't. There's, no, there's, there's no zero point, hours, exactly. nothing, nothing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, so actually, so that, your point, there are people that are retiring and leaving the, leaving the labour force. So, um, you know, if you look at the detail there, 173,000 fewer jobs in, North, in, 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 in New South Wales. Um, and this, you know, really only captures the sort of Greater Sydney area. Um, and only f- sort of, you know, partly overlap in Victoria and ACT. Um, we've been here before, um, though, haven't we? Because if we look at the hours worked, so a 3.7% fall in the hours worked is actually 6.5% for New South Wales. It's not as bad nationally as bad as January when it was 4, 4.8% or April last year when, of course, it was 9.6%. And in both those cases, I mean, the bounce back was fairly swift. It was, and that's the expectation, of course. I mean, a better measure, people shouldn't get carried away about, you know, things like... Um, 
the uh, the unemployment rate and what have you, a better measure of the effective unemployment rate takes account of the participation rate changes and the fact that the, there were 249,000 people apparently who are technically employed but uh, are working zero hours. If you, if you strip it out all that, actually unemployment is nearer 6%. It will come back down again, but um, you know we, we've got to wait until probably October if uh, New South Wales can get to vaccination rates of 70%. It's on track. You know, um, as long as that's um, as long as that's met, then uh, you'd expect these things to reverse, as does the RBA. So very quickly, New Zealand's GDP yesterday, two point eight percent for the quarter in Q two, up seventeen point four percent year on year. Uh, that's why the you know the New Zealand dollar down this morning, but it was it was up three quarters of a percent before the uh, mm. uh, just as those numbers came out. Uh, and uh, look, I, I'm assuming this means that there's talk about more aggressive rate rises from the RBNZ. In fact, it's priced in, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and we, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we, maybe we'll get a strong manufacturing PMI for New Zealand as well today, and that might seal that. Yeah, I mean, super strong numbers. It's telling you that excess demand was a lot stronger than previously thought, and way above what the uh, the RBN uh, the RBNZ was thinking. I'm pre- previous to this, it thought that excess capacity was something like about. Um, about 0.9%, um, assuming uh, um, um, a GDP rise of 0.6. Well, the 2.8% GDP rise suggests it's about 2.4%. The, the economy is operating about 2.5% above capacity. The economy is now 4% above pre-pandemic levels. In terms of the rates, you're absolutely right. So the market now is pushing on, you know, well, pr- trying to price in 50 basis points rise in October. Our uh, BNZ colleagues think if it's going to go 50, it's more likely to do so in November. But we are saying we expect rate rises in October, November. The next meeting after that is February. And that will be take rates, it's assuming it's 25 to 1%, and that the RBNZ will keep going until it reaches about 2%. Um, yeah, all right. And the, you know, the, the question, of course, in the background is uh, how is China going to react to Australia having a, a fleet of uh, nuclear submarines, which are obviously aimed fairly and squarely at trying to uh, uh, stop their military assertiveness in the uh, in the Indo-Pacific? We'll see how uh, China reacts to that as the in coming weeks. But today, that's just about it, isn't it? University of Michigan consumer sentiment read is out later on tonight. The five to ten year inflation expectation as well, which last time was sitting at 2.9 percent. Uh, are longer term inflation fears subsiding? Have we bought the transitive ar- argument now? Well, think? I think that's well, markets have, but uh, you know, yeah. have uh, have consumers and businesses. I mean, that's going to be very, very closely watched, and that can affect you know market. Uh, right. We'll leave it sentiment. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Gavin. Catch you next time. Cheers, Phil. Wow, <laughs> busy day, isn't it? That's it for today. I'm back again on Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Have a great weekend. See you next week. 